I don't know about you, but I, it sounds weird, but one of my favorite things is seeing kids run. I'm not talking about like kids in grade four or grade three. I'm talking about the kids that run like before youth and after church. I'm talking about Cooper and Sawyer, who are Kaylee and Brandon's boys, and Scarlett, who belongs to Austin and Courtney. These kids have a way with running. And the other night, we were uh, walking to our cars after Bible study, and um, we were walking with Courtney and Austin, and Scarlett just took off like a bolt. Just no worry about what was around or what was in front of her or not in front of her. Just, just ran. And I love that running for kids always goes along with screaming as well. If, if you're running as fast as you can, you also have to scream at the top of your lungs. That's, that's the best part about running. And she ran and ran and ran, and she would look back, and she'd be like, running! And she'd just run, and then all of a sudden she'd like hit a crack in the ground, and she'd you know, slam on the ground. And then she'd look at me, and then she'd be like, running! And then she'd take off again. And she did this like three times as we're walking. And I'm trying to be like, slow down, like just, you know, we can run together a little bit slower, and it's okay. But she just wanted to go. And when they do it at church on Sundays, um, after the service, if one kid starts running, it's like infectious. Because then other kids want to start running. And if one kid starts screaming, then other kids want to start screaming. And it's awesome because they just don't worry about if there's even like another kid in their way or a chair or a pew or, you know, people praying here. They just want to run. They're just on mission and it's awesome. And I don't know if you've really been connecting with this idea that we've been talking about this month, this one wild life. I feel like even for me, when I planned it and what we've been talking about, even though it's been important, I haven't really been connecting with it. And I think really at the heart of what I want you guys to catch is that there's more to life than what we can make on our own. That God wants so much more for us. That he, he cares about us. That he's created us so uniquely. And he wants more for our lives. He wants our lives to be full and exciting and unique and rewarding. And as we've went through the first three chapters of Ephesians and kind of picked out these different ideas, the first three chapters of this letter in Ephesians is really just laying out uh, beliefs. It's laying out this thing called do- doctrine or what we should believe. And the last three chapters of Ephesians talk about how we should live. They talk about how we should respond. So tonight we're talking about this idea of running the race together. Running together. And here's kind of the big idea tonight. What you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. We're going to read the first seven verses of of Ephesians 4. It says this, I therefore... This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure 
of Christ's gift. We're just going to go through this passage a little bit, just section by section, pull out some things that Paul was writing to these early Ephesians. Starts out this, I therefore... Therefore isn't a word we use all the time. Uh, I don't use it in very many sentences. But Paul here is saying, I've written three chapters that are filled with things that you should believe. Week one, we talked about hope and value and power. And I can tell you that there's lots of times in life, and I think that if we all stopped and thought about it for a second, there's things in our lives that sometimes don't feel very hopeful. We feel maybe depressed or stressed or like we have anxiety or someone in our family is going through something or we see some, our, one of our friends going through something and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of hope. Couple with that times where we don't feel like we're worth very much, that we have very, you know, we have much value. Like the things that people say to us or the way that we get treated or the way people are reacting to us, especially people that are close to us, or people we trust or consider friends. The things that they do make us not feel very valuable. And then we don't feel like we have much power in the way that we, people aren't hearing us when we talk. Our opinion isn't valid. We see situations and we want to do something, but we don't know what to do. And Paul spoke to us in chapter 1 and said, There is hope. God gives us hope. That God is more powerful than any situation we're going to come in contact with. That no matter how you get treated at school or how people talk to you or how worthless you feel, that God has uniquely created you with value and with worth. And that even though we come up into situations where we don't feel like we have much power, that God is bigger than any situation that we can come in contact with and he, we can tap into that power to be able to be used by him in different situations. So that was just chapter 1. Chapter 2, we talked about grace, and this was the definition I gave you. Grace is God being good to us, even though we give him every reason not to be. That God's goodness to us is not based on what we do or what we say, but he is just good to us. Grace is God saying, I love you, I forgive you, I want to have a relationship with you. This is the grace that God gives us so freely. And last week we talked about this verse that says God wants immeasurably more for your life than you could ever ask or imagine. And as I reread that today, I thought, I can think of some pretty cool things that I wish would happen in my life. I can dream up some pretty big dreams. I don't know if you um, play the game or have the conversation with your friends about, okay, if I, the lottery this week is uh, $6.5 million. Okay, what would you do with $6.5 million? And then me and my friends would play this game about like which cars were the best deal that we could afford so we could get as many as we could and still buy our parents a home. That was always important for some reason when we played that game. But I think that all of us can imagine some pretty cool things that we would want to have happen in our life or we'd want to do and God is saying that he wants so much more for us than we could ever ask or think. The next part says a prisoner for the Lord. Paul is some was one of these guys that sold out for God and yet he finds himself in prison writing this letter. And I think at this point he's doing as much as he can. He's making a lot of uh, waves even in the churches of that day from prison. What, I've, what I believe Paul is saying is that even when you follow this wildlife, even when you 
decide to live for God, that there can be consequences from our culture. You can be looked on as different and weird in different situations. You can be looked on as weird because you believe in God, or you pray, or you read your Bible. There's really first world problem type things that we come in contact with. And then there's things like Paul being imprisoned. In North America, we have it pretty good. Sometimes we can get made fun of or whatever for going to church or going to youth group. There's some teenagers in certain countries that would have to hide from the government or from police to be able to just have a meeting, probably not like any bigger than like one row of people, just 12 to 14 people hiding in in a church. And so we have it pretty good here, but Paul is saying sometimes there's consequences, sometimes there's things that get in our way, obstacles when we follow God. Next part is this, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I read this and I read walk, but I really read this passage and I feel like run. I feel like the same way that Scarlett and Sawyer Cooper run with such abandon and not worrying about anything is the way that I wish that I ran in my relationship with God. Not worrying about the obstacles of our culture or our day, not worried about the things that people might say but just running with what God has given me. God doesn't have every moment of every day planned out for for us. It is honestly our choice how we respond, where we will walk, where we will run. But Paul is saying that we have to live in a worthy manner of the calling. So what is the calling? This is the best way and the simplest way that I can describe it is that when we believe in God, when we believe that Jesus died on the cross, God actually calls us sons and daughters. Sons and daughters of of the God who created the universe. That's just like one description of our calling. And so, so if we actually believe that, if we actually believe that that's true, then we should live our lives each and every day reflecting that truth, or at least trying to reflect that truth. How we live actually shows a lot about what we believe. The next part is this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, each of us is called to the same thing by God. We're all called to follow Him. We're all called to have a relationship with Him. He's calling each and every one of you. He's trying to speak to each and every one of you to call you to a relationship, to be a part of your lives. And so with that, we should guard ourselves against pride, with being patient, with not treating others harshly, treating others with love. Part of this living up to our calling in a worthy manner. Keeping God at the forefront of whatever we do and whatever we say. I use this example on Sunday morning. I think it's a good example because it's true in my life. For some reason, a long time ago, I picked being nice to cashiers as a thing that I was going to do. And I picked it specifically because I knew that I could be, I could be super nice and, and show God's love to somebody just, just in a moment. Not that I make a cardboard sign and I bring it into the grocery store saying, Jesus loves you, and I just shove it in people's faces. But I just figure that cashiers don't always get treated that nicely. And so one of the ways is that I'm always nice to cashiers or people in the drive through and stuff. And it, 
And by doing that action, I'm reminded of a God that loves me and I can show love to other people. It's just one of those kind of little life hacks that I do in my own life to allow God to be at the forefront of, of stuff that I do. And I'm not perfect at that. Not perfect at always keeping God at the forefront, but I try to find ways um, to help myself remember. We need to do these things in order to keep God at the forefront, to live our lives in a worthy manner of the calling to which you have been called. This next part is really huge. There is, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is a long section. This made me think about the fact that not only has God created each one of us and created each one of us uniquely, but he's also called us on a level playing field. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't just like call Brandon and say, Brandon's going to be my favorite today and the rest of you can go and have fun in your problems and all that stuff. Me and Brandon are going to just you know, change the world today. No, God, this is, there's one God, there's one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are on a level playing field. Each and every person here is loved by God so much that there's this level playing field. We all have equal access to all that God offers. But do we treat other people as if that is true? Do we treat other people as if that is true? Are we quick to accept people for who they are? Are we quick to judge people by their actions or what they say? We, every week I get up and I say our, our statement about why we exist as a youth ministry. And I really feel like two summers ago when I was working through this and I was praying and God put on my heart this word belong, I really think in that moment that something changed in me. Because I've been looking at people differently. And not looking at people differently because they're different or because they're weird. But, but looking at people as God would see them. Trying to accept people with all their quirks and all their weirdness. And all their norm, normalness. In whatever way, especially as students, whatever way you come through that door that this is seriously a place where you belong. Not because you're doing certain things to make me happy or your leaders, not because you're acting a certain way, not because you all of a sudden stop swearing the moment that you come in or you listen to the right music or you watch the right movies or you, you know, treat your parents a certain way. No, just however you come through those doors that you would belong. And the same way that you come through those doors, God is saying that you belong that he wants to love you and care for you on this equal playing field. It still means that we have a choice to make. still means that we have a choice on how we're going to respond to God. But God lays out this level playing field, and that's going to come, that's going to come uh, into play here in a second when we, when we do something with these pieces of paper. There is one God and Father calling us all to a relationship with him, and this should be re- reflected not only in our lives and how we act, but how we treat others. 
the last section there. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I've talked about this a lot, and I will continue to talk about this a lot, that the best part about having a big God that we serve is the fact that each one of our relationships looks different. That he's created us all uniquely with different gifts and abilities. And I, I appreciate that fact. I appreciate that some of you love to draw, and I wish that I could draw like I see you, not the K-pop stuff, but, um, <clears throat> but I, I wish that I was ar- artistic like that. Uh, I see the stuff that Brandon does with woodworking, and I, you know, try to live up to his, his skills and stuff, but I think that that's awesome, and I see him using those gifts for God. I see these girls singing on worship team, and playing bass, and playing drums, and, and sitting at the sound booth, and, and our leaders, the way that they lead uh, you guys in your small groups. And I could keep going, picking out gift after gift that God has gifted you with. And you might be sitting here tonight thinking, God hasn't gifted me with anything. And I've said this before in a previous series, that you can't just look at someone else's gift and just sit around and be jealous and be content that that's where you're at. You need to look at the things that you're good at. Look at the things that you are talented at. If you think that you're not gifted at something, go and find somebody that you trust and ask them. They will tell you. They will tell you the things that God has uniquely gifted you with. We're all not supposed to look and speak and act the same way. Out of generosity, Christ has given each one of us our own gift. It's part of the reason why he created us the way he's created us, just so uniquely. Now just two things as we're closing here. Do's and don'ts versus a real response. At the beginning, I said this phrase that what you believe determines how you behave. What you believe really determines how you're going to react and how you're going to respond. If you've grown up with a view of God as this angry tyrant that sits in heaven waiting for you to mess up, like the balcony God, which I call him, staring over the balcony, looking in the backyard, all of us playing, waiting for us to mess up and screw up. Then you're going to respond to God in a very certain way. You're probably going to see all the commands and all of the guidelines that God lays out in the Bible as a, as a do's and don'ts list. And if we're good, we get a cookie, and if we're bad, we get punished. And that's, that's going to inform the way that you respond. It's going to be a lot of oh man, I messed up, or oh, I did this really good, now God's going to like me. And unfortunately, that's not really how it works. It doesn't really reflect the grace that we talked about in week two that God has for us. But once we start to understand the lengths that God would take for us to experience a relationship with Him, once we understand that God sent His Son to die on a cross for you and me, Well, that informs our decisions very differently. I talked on Sunday morning uh, about a message about truth and noise. And there's a lot of noise that goes on in our lives. There's a lot of things that try to tell us what to do or what to think or, or try to draw us in. And we need to fight to continue to hear the truth. So whether that's going to friends that we trust to, to talk about a situation, whether that's sharing stuff with your small group leader, whether, even better, whether you know, it's talking, or talking to somebody about what you're reading in your Bible. I use this phrase on the weekend, word 
word before world or truth before noise. There's a lot of times in the morning where I wake up and the first thing I do is I get out my phone and I look at Instagram and Facebook and I'm not cool enough to have Snapchat, so I don't. Um, but, but I know some of you do and that might be your routine. And sometimes that sets me up for a day where it's probably harder for me to hear from God than if I would pick up my Bible and even read a few verses to just set the tone of my day and allow God in to my day. Truth before noise, word before world. God wants us to understand all that he has done for us and wants us to respond. Wants us to respond about the first three chapters that we read. All the things that he's promised us. All the things that are true. But it really comes down to our choice. And tonight I want to do something super, well hopefully it's interesting to you. It's going to be stretching for our group. Uh, But I want to actually give us a chance to put this into practice. Put this into practice in two ways. One is that we're all on the same playing field. We all have the ability to encourage people, to pray for people. We all have that ability, not just your small group leaders, not just those that have, you know, grown up in the church. Everybody has that ability. But the other side of it is, is that whether you come to youth group and you trust that this is a place where people actually care about you and you actually belong. So we're going to do, do a thing. So now you have a blue card and you have a yellow piece of paper. So what I want you to do is... You can stay where you are. You can spread out. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to do this. On the yellow piece of paper, I want you to think about something that should be, like, something exciting that's worth, um, like, praising. Something that's worth celebrating that's happened in your life. And put that on the yellow piece of paper. And the yellow piece of paper goes in this bucket right here. Okay? And then the blue bucket, on the blue piece of paper, I want you to write down something that you want our youth group to pray for. Now, you don't have to put your name on it, okay? Because guess what? God is big enough to know whose request this is. So we don't need to know whose it is in order to pray for all of these. So what we're going to do is I want you to write down something worth celebrating that's been good, and maybe you don't have anything, that's fine, but that goes on the yellow one, and then on the blue one, something that we want to pray for. And then... After everybody's done, I'm going to pull some from both of these, and we're going to see if anybody wants to come up and pray for them. And the other thing is, I'm going to collect all of these after and make a list and send them to all of our small group leaders so we can pray for these. So whatever you write down tonight is going to be prayed for, whether it's prayed for right now during this exercise or we pray for it in the weeks to come. We want to celebrate the things that need to be celebrated in our youth ministry, and we want to pray for the things that need to be prayed for. So if you don't have anything to write down, that's fine. You don't have to feel bad about that. You don't have to feel discouraged. But if you have something to write down, you don't have to put your name on it, but we want to know. We want to know because if we don't know, we can't pray for it. If we don't know, we can't celebrate it. Just give you a couple minutes to think about that.